Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. In this episode, we will be talking to Shika Desai, a principal designer for intelligent experiences at Microsoft. We talk about AI, um, the progress of technology, product design, and what she thinks about working with social scientists. We hope you enjoy it. Hi guys, welcome to The Human Show. We are here today with Shika Desai, a principal designer for Microsoft. Good morning, Shika. Hi, good morning. <laughs> good to have you here on the show with us. So we're going to go right into it and ask you our first question, which is, from your own words, um, what would be the definition of an insight? Insights to me is something that people in product development uh, or anybody, any person actually uses to create something. In my world, we use insights to create new technologies. So understanding who is using the technology that we're creating or product that we have created, what they're using it for, why they're using, where and when. So understanding a lot from the data itself. And the data can come from various places. It could be a product usage data. It could be just user behavior, market data, experimentation data, just to uh, get a better understanding of the patterns and gaps so that we can mm -hmm. create uh, better products. Sounds like a fascinating job. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about your own path with your own career in this space. I started in uh, India. I studied actually architecture and industrial design in India. And at that time, I just used sketching and not so much of technology. It's like 20 years ago. It started to use like technology just to create like a final output, not as a thinking base. You still use pen and paper for sketching a lot more stuff. After, as I was doing my industrial design in India, one of my professor, uh, Professor Atwankar at IIT Bombay, he uh, introduced me to user centered design. Mm -hmm. And I, I really enjoyed how uh, the thinking part of it, like how you put the human in the center and think about design versus just design, just what you like to sketch, like cars and other stuff. So I followed his lead and came to Chicago to study human-centered design in IIT um, Chicago. And um, that's where I guess my journey started. And I learned a lot about the design process in depth. And initially, I applied a little more about design process and space planning and worked with Steelcase for a while and then jumped into software design. And since then, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Motorola, and now currently I'm at Microsoft. And I've been Microsoft for 10 years now and working in Office, Microsoft Office, where I am leading uh, design for uh, artificial intelligence infused experiences for Office products. That's kind of my journey. <laughs> in your current role, um, how do you work with insights? Like, what exactly do you do with them? Yeah, so I, I don't see like insights as a separate thing. Like it's almost an uh, integral part of the process, design mm -hmm. process that we do. So it's like as you are trying to understand what researchers come back with from the research work after understanding people or user patterns, we use the insights to inform 
our new opportunities. We also use it when you're framing the problem. So using the insights to even uh, highlight, create some highlights in our scenarios or when you are evaluating a design or you are thinking about design decisions. Like, so we use insights in everything and in, it's very integral pro- part of the design process. And again, like in the end, when you're putting the design in front of users, trying to iterate on your designs, I guess it's throughout the process we use it. So I don't think it as a very separate thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very integrated part of the whole design process for me. Okay. What about research then? How do you look at that? Yeah, so we work very closely with our research team. I can give you an example of my current project that we're working on, research, design, and PM, our product managers. They all work very closely together. And uh, obviously, everybody has their different roles, but they are always part of the conversation, even if you're planning for something or we are trying to say, okay, what does this mean to iterate our design changes, everything. We work really together. And um, what would you value in a researcher as part of a, as part of a team? Definitely, like I joke around with my researcher that she brings uh, adult supervision <laughs> to our process. <laughs> but basically, she's always our voice of user. She'll always ground us back. As we, if we get too carried away with any decision just because technology can do it, she'll bring us back, okay, is it right thing for our users to do? So she'll keep us grounded in the real user need. But also, our researchers are really good at understanding where our market spaces, like the new market, where the competitors are going, uh, where the new technology is going. So it's not just the user. They'll bring a very holistic perspective from market and technology perspective, too, and then help us watch for the pitfalls or highlight some of the, like, hey, these are, uh, we are going to change the user behavior at this point. So we have to be careful about that. So it's very grounding. Mm-hmm. Like they'll keep us grounded a lot. Yeah. How do you see the composition of a research team? What type of background do they normally have? And um, have you worked with social scientists and in what capacity? So our research team has evolved a lot. Uh, and I'm just talking about in Microsoft mm-hmm. Office uh, right now. Uh, we had two different sets of research team. The front end, which was more social scientist understanding. Uh, like uh, they used to do a lot more of ethnography. Uh, and inform more of planning. And then the second set of design researchers were very much about the product that would be doing the usability testing and um, design research, the product. But over the years, we have just one research team that has like one person have a strength of planning, for example, the other person have a strength of design research, but it, they both work together very closely rather than uh, two different teams. So I think when, over the years, what we have found is for our research team to be successful, it is really important to know the industry that they are catering to, so knowing the domain. So in, in our ex- space, it's productivity space. So knowing how people are working, uh, data scientists are working, uh, data analysts are working, or uh, teachers and students are working. So these are different scenarios, but understanding the domain that the product is used in mm-hmm. And also understanding the business, where we want to go, what the priorities of our business is, as well as our competitors, where they're going. I think so. Having that view is really important for a success for our social scientists or any research team in our group. What experience have you had so far with social scientists versus other types of researchers? In, in which way would you say they're different? 
I think when it is a lot more unknown space or new market or new user group that we're going after, I think that's where we have a lot more engagement from social scientists type of research. Mm-hmm. For example, when we were trying to figure out the mobile industry three, four years ago, our researchers brought in from like understanding how mobile phone is used in China or in mm-hmm. India, how differently it is used than in U.S., And so I think when it's a very new space for us, it really helps us to understand culture and what user behaviors are. That's where that helps. And that basically informs a product strategy and planning. Mm-hmm. But once we know what we're going to build, then that's where I feel like our design researchers who do the testing and work with the product team in more integrated ways are more helpful there. Yeah. So it depends on where you are on the journey of product development, right? Yeah, so very early on when it's more in the planning phase, mm-hmm. definitely the uh, social science type of research helps a lot more. Yeah. Um, And yeah. Uh, do you know, I mean, w- from what we observed looking into this space so far, we've seen Microsoft as one of the companies that... Um, has quite a constant practice of using um, social scientists and integrating them into the business. Why is that? I think you always need to understand where you can disrupt and the social mm-hmm. sciences also help you disrupt where, where the product space, uh, mindset is. A lot of engineering teams and product teams are like chugging along and they have a roadmap of things that they know they want to do. But uh, there are so many other things happening around the world that a lot of times we are unaware of. And then these social science uh, researchers can help shine light on those things. Mm. And is there mm. a specific understanding inside the company of, of the value of the discipline? And would you know to say where did it come from, how it got built to where it is today? So I don't think so. As I was saying, we make a difference between a social science researcher. Uh, it really is good when we have all the research together, mm-hmm. uh, even the like qualitative and quantitative research together. Um, that's where the power power is of the insight. So I think in in an, any team, you would want a variety and a, like complementary skill sets to yeah. be there. So I don't think so we can have all social scientists research or all uh, data scientists researchers, right? Or all design researchers. So yeah. if you have a team where you have one social scientist, one design researcher, one uh, data person, it mm. helps bring a good perspective around the same problem space. Yeah. So, and that's how I've been seeing now the teams are evolving mm. in other uh, groups as well. So Yeah. I think multidisciplinarity is always great. Um, it's just that we've yeah. seen other companies, you know, in the business sector, um, not embracing social science as part of that multidisciplinarity as much as Microsoft does. So um, we were just wondering a bit what makes Microsoft so unique in that, in that aspect. Yeah, I guess um, the uniqueness is also probably, I don't know, I'm now thinking aloud here with you guys. <laughs> I don't know if it's fat. But it's also because it's a big corporation and um, you do put some focus on shipping, but some focus on thinking ahead, what's mm. out, what possibly can be out there. And so we also have Microsoft Research who are like a researchers with technology plus social science almost background. Mm. Um, that is like seeing what um, like the new technology that you're creating can affect the society, the Uh, what other problem, user problems we are creating with that. So I think that's where 
it is a little bit more fertile ground because we are not just focused on shipping, but also thinking ahead of what, how technology is changing uh, and what would be the impact on mm. human. That is great. And, and can you tell us a bit more about this lab, why it was set up and how does it work? Yeah, so it is, um, and it has evolved now. <laughs> uh, initially, it was set up as a group of scientists, computer scientists, human factor engineers, and a lot of technology plus human-centered people in this lab where they can work outside of the product. It is a more free innovation area for mm-hmm. people to not feel pressured to ship, but just feel, uh, be experimental and create new technologies. Now, in past few uh, past year or so, I would say it is more aligned with ANR, which is our new group called AI, Artificial Intelligence and Research Group. So these are more aligned to that group now because a lot of research that was happening was around AI anyway. The, a lot of forward-looking research happens in that group. Yeah, with natural pro- language processing to. Um, any other new technology. But there's a whole human-centered design group there that helps understand, okay, what are the issues with AI in in future society, like ethics, privacy, uh, biases, like all of these are good topics that will come with AI in our industry. So they try to get ahead of that problem space, think through what can we do about it. And it's not focused on shipping, but we as product groups, I work in a product group, so we product group take a lot of insights from them and understand, mm-hmm. okay, how can we translate that into our product then? Okay. And do you have so, that lab in just one location or you have it in, in different markets? Oh, in different. So there's Asia, there's Europe, Europe, there's here in Redmond. So it's in different markets. That sounds fascinating. Um, yeah. For those kind of in the academic space, thinking about pursuing, um, starting a career in, in the business sector, what would you advise them to do? How to, how to start approaching this, this new business environment for them? I think the most successful researchers I've seen are the ones who are definitely good at what they do, researching, but also understand technology and business, especially if they're trying to get into technology field. Yeah. Uh, so I would say, like, get to know the industry that you're trying to apply into, mm. know the domain or understand, because it's sometimes the failure is in translation of what you learn as a researcher to what the product team is looking for. Yeah. That synthesis and translation piece is key to be successful. Mm. And the way you could be successful there is if you know a little bit more about the domain that you're trying to influence. Uh, understand the business and be comfortable with technology. A lot Mm -hmm. of researchers who are not comfortable with technology are um, the ones that struggle the most in my mind if they're trying to influence a a product that is a technology. How could they start understanding that business side? Uh, The business side, I think it is... So if you do research for just research sake, I think understanding... Like if you are already in the company, you should work with your partner teams, meaning like the people who are making the decision on what do we plan ahead. And Mm -hmm. in our case, in Microsoft, these are the PMs. Yeah. So working with PMs to understand, okay, what is the need that they're they're trying to solve for? Or what is their biggest question? Uh, What is the business priority from the leaders? Just trying to get a bigger understanding about, okay, how the research can be used and what is the 
playground here. Mm-hmm. It's a fertile ground for, okay, let's say if mobile is the strategy everybody wants to go for. Yeah. Um, and you do research on something completely different or collaboration is a strategy and you're doing a research on mobile. So it's like there shouldn't be a mismatch in your business mm-hmm. priorities and what you're trying to do. So obviously, that's the big thing for anybody to be successful, not only researchers, but just aligning yourself with your business priorities. That is great advice. Um, I have another one for you. Let's say I'm a business that is, you know, listening to you talking about this, um, the work that you do and the type of people that you work with. And I'm interested in experimenting with a social scientist or I'm interested in bringing one on board in my team uh, that now doesn't have one. Um, mm-hmm. How would you recommend them to start this process to, you know, make it gently and successful? Uh, as a business, now you're asking yes, me, right? Yes. Um, well, I would say don't hire just one. I feel like the <laughs> strength is also in numbers. Like yeah. one person cannot do a lot of difference. So you should have a fertile group of people that is open to experimentation. So I would say if you're trying to get a social scientist, you should have a group of people who uh, where that per- one or two or three people can come. Yeah. And they're open to disruptiveness. So if you are, mm-hmm. I think, creating that environment where people are not only focused on shipping, but having a group of people that are open to thinking, okay, what if we did thing- do things completely differently here? And it's a combination of people. I mean, you will bring in researchers, but you will also bring in uh, some conceptual designers. You will also bring in some um, forward-looking product managers uh, and engineers to give that uh, fertile ground for the researcher to be successful. Hmm. I love that. Like, let, that, that's a great, very great advice. Bring them in, but not as in one individual. Um, I think I think that's also something that uh, we we often see, you know, companies saying, "Well, we're going to disrupt ourselves, and we're going to hire this futurist or this forward-thinking individual or this specialist in whatever, and then we're going to put them inside an existing team, and they're going to work their magic." <laughs> yeah, that would not be successful. I can say that. Yeah, no, I think you you have a group of people who are mm. uh, committed to that disruption and yes. forward-looking. Yes. I think that is great. Okay, so Shika, what is next for you in your career? Where do you um, um, see your skill set and your um, development going in the ne- in the next years? I'm a designer, <laughs> so <laughs> I want to keep doing uh, design. And I feel like I really like working in a small group of people who are passionate about technology and uh, creating new innovative experiences. So I still want to keep continuing to do that. Yeah, and... Um, I'm going to, my next step is to go as a, a design manager uh, in the industry. So that's another one, like coach people and mentor people to be able to be successful in this kind of environment. So, yeah. Do you have a, a specific uh, thing that you, um, how do you say, that you like to design or something that you, you kind of, is a passion of yours, not necessarily part of your job? Um, so Nick, I'm not like, I like challenges. I like new mm-hmm. challenges and I like to learn a lot new things. So like a few years ago, mobile was a thing. I didn't know anything about it. I jumped into it. I understood like now it is AI. So it's like anything uh, new and challenging. I like, I just like to solve problems and yeah. use the process to do that. Uh, and that problem could be in any space. Mm-hmm. As long as yeah. it's new and challenging, I like to do that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I have a particular personal question around AI because I've, al- sure. I've always wondered, like, 
if the term itself is it's more used as a, as an intention rather than an an actual fact like are we actually capable to build artificial intelligence and if yes what does it what is that intelligence what type of what qualifies it to be intelligent <laughs> you asked a really good question <laughs> yeah so i think there's um uh like an perception about what artificial intelligence means and like from through movies and everything mm-hmm. people think oh only then if yeah, it's yeah if unless it's a man thine heart it's not an artificial intelligence mm-hmm. but like alexa is artificial intelligence it's just literally giving you answers from searching something and giving you answers or connecting you to different uh products and giving you answers she's not thinking like mm-hmm. her and samantha right so um So it's not like west world type of artificial yeah. intelligence. We are in a very very nascent phase of mm. that journey and we're literally starting with um connected experiences, connecting um understanding what user context is, understanding what user intent is. Mm-hmm. Those are our basic things and it's far road to get to something like um um Samantha or <laughs> Do you see it happening though in the future? I think we are the creators, so mm-hmm. I think we can um we can watch for those pitfalls and that's what I was saying like our MSR team is thinking about biases and ethics. And these are the things that if we are aware of early on, I think we can watch ourselves to not create that kind of a dystopian future and be a little bit more uh, thinking that AI can augment us and that's how we have been approaching at Microsoft that how AI augments a human rather than um, replace the human replace mm-hmm. the thing yeah so <laughs> yeah so would that mean that you guys are also working in the space of transhumanism sorry this is just i it's a space that i personally find extremely fascinated just like artificial intelligence transhumanism mm-hmm. tell me more about it so transhumanism is a space that investigates the enhancement of the human body and mind through machine yeah so there are few areas that like especially if you have a disability mm-hmm. you would want to make sure that uh, technology is helping you chief uh, that's where i think it is and it's not about artificial intelligence at that point more it is just technology helping you be a complete human no but you know um, like the, like those processes that accelerate your processes of learning or processes of thought or um you know they're experimented with pieces of technology that gets you to learn something extremely fast or theoretically would or there's a promise that it can help you achieve better empathy or do you know this kind of investigations yeah so i think investigation wise i would say yes everything is happening but mm-hmm. it is um the the space i am in right now we are not doing anything to productize any yeah. of those It's, I find it personal fascinating because it's kind of also at the intersection of medicine and technology and biotechnology and all of that uh, which is yeah it's just I just think it's we live in a space that so many things are changing and they're in the space of exploration that it's it's quite fascinating yeah and a lot of experimentation will happen because mm. we would want to see where how far we can push right yeah. so and as long as it is again augmenting to use to human and helping human to do the work that they want to that's where technology is right like yeah. 
like we didn't had a stove or we didn't had microwave and it helped us accelerate what we wanted to do in cooking same way like whatever you're trying to do if you're trying to create a presentation how we can accelerate you or making a presentation um even if you don't have the skill sets how you can create a beautiful presentation mm-hmm. at a very tactical level yeah um like you will always try to achieve that yeah i think you will always push the envelope till you users are, or people are uh, feeling that yes it is helping me finish the outcome or the goal i'm trying to achieve mm. and you would want to support that yeah what is the space of co-creation within this universe for you co-creation with a technology or co-creation with people uh co-creation with people of the technology so getting your users inside a design process with you to help you shape how that thing will ultimately look like is is that something that yeah. you normally practice as well yeah so we at least in my group right now we follow what we i guess more commonly known as design sprints mm-hmm. um outside in our industry uh where we do go through the design process and involve users to learn we don't bring in users in the in the room with us to sketch with us um but we have done some like focus groups and where we would do some ideas and people can uh, react to it um but we haven't done so much of co-creation in this uh, at least in my current uh, role however a few years back when we were doing space planning with steel case co-creation was a big piece there we used to do that a lot hmm So what what would you see some of the benefits or the disadvantages are of of that approach of co-creation mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so if people are very much into like for space planning could work really well because they were living there they could understand what mm-hmm. how they would want to change their space with technology i think sometimes it's harder when you're trying to also ahead and people are not like they they are still thinking about how they work today versus how it could have worked and that jump is way too much sometimes for people if they don't understand or if they have not seen in another analogous area mm-hmm. but we do hear a lot of co-creation type of examples when we put in front of people uh, an experience like for example if we put in front of them a new experience for office they would react to it and then start building upon it with us Uh, yeah. That we see a lot versus just giving a problem statement and then create from that. Yeah, that that's fascinating because the whole product itself relies on your ability to use it to create something yourself, right? Yeah. So it's it's a kind of a facilitator, enabler for your own creation process. Uh, yeah. So that's why I, I was kind of wondering how does the co-creation in itself work in the development of the tool? It's it's really cool. We had a very interesting conversation with Sam Ladner that also uh, worked for Microsoft and we had yep. this conversation around Excel where we talked about you know especially with products or with tools that that you are comfortable and you've been using them for a long time for a lot of years there's a lot of comfort to be found in your practices or habits that you build around how to access how to use it and that also comes with a kind of a resistance to change what would you say around this topic in your in your work what would that mean for people kind of embracing changes um in these tools um and and seeing them as something positive early on yeah no she's right on um and office because it's it's uh it's been there for a long time mm. the products have been like word powerpoint excel have been there for a really long time 
people are used to using it in a certain way and if, if you change anything they'll be like oh i where did it go or <laughs> so thinking out of the box of uh, thinking okay how do we completely think this experience differently is a huge task and mm-hmm. it we get a lot of pushback from a lot of our engineering from marketing and product management too but that doesn't mean that we stop pushing because i feel like the role of design and research is also to push people to make sure that yes this is something possible and maybe we don't completely change it but we can introduce experiences that might be different than what people are used to and maybe not the people who are legacy users won't use it as mm-hmm. much and it's okay yeah. but we might be helping some other set of users who are not used to excel but maybe they are using our competitive products um and why are they using the competitive products because it is simpler right so we could target some other set of users rather than thinking hey we want to change the things for the people who are already using yeah. maybe we don't change anything for them but introduce another subset of experience that is useful for um a new new user novice user or users who are using our competitive products so yeah gotcha <laughs> I wanted one last question that I would have would be in the space of technology integration. So I was reading this really interesting article that talked about smart housing. And there was this um this lady um that tried to do an experiment where she basically turned her entire house into um technology assisted enabled system. So mm-hmm. and she got one she got Alexa to do something then she got an intelligent coffee maker an intelligent mattress intelligent everything. And at the yeah. end um of her experiment she she was talking about how difficult it is to get all those systems to work together because at the end a good experience of technology needs to somehow at some point connect to other technologies which are not made by the same company which assumes different paths maybe to the same outcome. Yeah, uh, and that makes the a lot of challenges around integration which users in their real life context really need for a good experience. Right. I wondered if you could speak a bit to this topic. Yeah, no, you're you're right on with that. We have so many different companies creating different products uh that they are not talking to each other, but with the I would say uh, and I'm from Microsoft but I'm still giving you example of Alexa and Google Home <laughs> but uh or even Cortana for that matter the role of these almost AI infused experiences or mm-hmm. assistive experiences yes. is to be able to talk to people and then their role is to connect with mm-hmm. other apps or other products or other hardwares to which uh in form of Cortana and Alexa is called skills right so we connect through skills and um that means you're connecting to different uh app mm-hmm. so in the case of Alexa it's Spotify right like mm-hmm. so if i want to play a music i would just say okay play music and it'll connect to your spotify account and it'll play that so the role of ai that's what i was saying like right now it's more around connecting mm. things and understanding the user intent and context and that's where i think a lot of innovation is happening right now and not so much as to okay how ai can take over human yeah so <laughs> it's more of a um in the background is more of a necessity for collectiveness as well right when it comes yes, to the because, yeah because as a human you don't want to relearn how do i talk to my toaster versus yes. how do i talk to my um 
music, yeah, right? Yeah. So you just want one way. Yes. And these assistive experiences or assistant, digital assistants are taking that role of, okay, you mm-hmm. just talk to one and then they will take care of connecting. That's very nascent again, and it has to evolve into a lot more uh, deeper integrated experiences with our physical um, products as well, yes. other than just right now it's very much into software mm-hmm. um, connection and has to evolve like Nest and everything are doing that work as well too. We'll see a lot more of that yeah. in and, coming year. And do you also see like on behind the scenes, the companies kind of coming together like um, and trying to find common pathways to kind of improve this contextual experience? Everybody is trying to uh, have their own experience, but also be connected. So, yes, um, I agree with you, like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, all of these will have some connections as well mm-hmm. as their own their own way of, okay, we want yeah. to be the place of where people talk to exactly. us versus their ones. And would you see that connection going as deep as the design process itself? Design process itself. Um, Meaning like in the actual design of a specific product or service, they start working together to generate a more con- a more um, seamless experience for the user rather than yeah. coming together at the end of a design process where they all are already have a fully formed product and see how can we integrate it better into your product. Yeah, so we, like when we first started with internet and web, um, we had like everybody creating their own mm-hmm. way of websites. And then we came together to say, okay, these are common design patterns or in design languages that we oh, everybody should follow. Yeah. If you're going Macy's website versus on <laughs> uh, Northstone website, it shouldn't feel very different. And people mm-hmm. don't have to relearn, okay, where do I find uh, help versus shop by brand versus. So I think those kind of patterns will evolve Again, with this AI or conversational UI patterns will evolve uh, across all the companies that because you don't want people to relearn again. Yeah. Like if I, and everybody have accepted that nobody lives in one ecosystem. Everybody yeah. uh, user lives in multiple ecosystems. I'll have my iPhone. Yeah. Uh, I'll have my uh, Surface Book and I'll have my um, Google Home. Right. Yeah. So how all three can work together? Yes. Is, yes. So I think that companies are accepting that fact a lot more. And with every technology, like we go through that, everybody tries to create their own experiences and then come together to normalize and create a design pattern. It'll go through the same exercise of, uh, we'll go through the same exercise. I think that's Um, great. Um, And, you know, I think more and more companies needs to, needs to embed that as a practice. I remember a story from my FMCG kind of, uh, background. Um, it's a story that I, that I, I read on a, on a forum about a Lipton iced tea. And this researcher guy, he was very frustrated with the company and he was saying, well, you know, um, they brought me into their lab testing and they showed me how to go through the experience of preparing a tea blend and how many minutes I need to pay attention and the color. And then they sent me to into the home of a customer um, to replicate the same lab experience. And they even had he even had color swatches for the shade uh, of color that the tea needs to bring, you know, just to have that optimal taste experience. <laughs> and then what he discovered, which is actually pretty normal, is that when people prepare breakfast or tea, or whatever they they really multitask so you leave it uh, you leave the kettle on for as long as it takes for the toast to pop and you know you don't really plan that individual singular experience of brewing your tea in independent of everything else 
Right. So he was right. saying that he went back to the lab and he told them that their whole process of um, of looking at the experience of, of, of enjoying tea is completely different and they need to change everything. And they freaked out and they took him out. <laughs> Right. No, this is this is going to be true, right? Nobody uses the product in isolation. Mm. It's a fuller experience, and the fuller experience involves a larger ecosystem yes. of different companies. Mm. So we have to accept that, and when we are designing or evaluating the designs or uh, even planning for, we have to think through that. Yeah. That is awesome. Shika, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, I, I can see that we're already nearing our time limit, although I, I would want to ask you so many more questions about AI and integrative design and social scientists. But yeah, thank you so much for being with us today. And for our, um, for our listeners, we will post um, all the information below in Shika's episode. Um, and yeah, hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Check our social media, our website and worldpodcast.com for other interesting content. Don't forget to come back next Tuesday for more interesting conversations.